Web3 with me is a discussion style podcast about the ins and outs of Web 3.0, hosted by Zach French, known as Off Edge in the verse. From crypto to NFTs, DAOs to DeFi, we cover the abstract philosophical promises and the new business models enabled in this new decentralized world. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform or watch the show on YouTube. Thanks and enjoy. Zach French is a bar certified attorney and nothing expressed by Zach during Web3 with me shall be considered legal advice. All the opinions expressed by Zach and his guests are solely their own opinions. All content in Web3 with me is for informational purposes only. Zach and his podcast guests may maintain positions in the securities discussed during Web3 with me. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for being listeners of Web3 with me. I want to take a few seconds to tell you about my exciting new B2B offering. It is the mission here to educate. I sincerely believe Web3 can make the world better for more people. Businesses shouldn't be left out, though, so I've launched The Web3 Coach. It's a bespoke education experience designed to help your team understand how Web3 affects your particular industry or company and identify opportunities unique to Web3. Whether you have a law or accounting firm with a growing number of clients participating in Web3 through crypto and NFTs, or you're a real estate syndicate looking for different ways to raise money, or teams just of fast-growing Web3 companies who want to understand your customers and your new teammates, I make sure you can talk the talk and leave feeling more confident about this crazy new world. Please take a minute to check out my website at theweb3coach.xyz. Thanks so much and enjoy the show. My guest today is Jameson, known as Friendly Jameson and viewed as his moonbird in the verse. Jameson started in music, went on to become an e-commerce founder, and ultimately landed in Web3 because of an innate desire to be early in a market cycle. We discuss how Jameson learns, his models for approaching NFTs, and even the origin of my pseudonym as part of a bigger discussion on reputational risk. I think we plan to collaborate on four different learning-related missions during this podcast. I hope you enjoy the episode. LFG, baby. Time to start vibing. Welcome to the show, Jameson. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, super excited to have you too. I've, I've been following you on Twitter for a while and uh, following like your posts. And I feel like all the stuff that you talk about is this the stuff that I feel like I want to represent in Web3 with me. So I appreciate you agreeing to join, even though we have had very limited interactions before. Oh, that's fine, man. We're we're obviously in a few similar communities, so we've crossed each other's paths. So I'm excited to be here. Yeah, cool, cool. Well, you know, I always like to start the episodes by getting to know my guests a little bit better. So can you tell us a little bit about your founding story? Yeah. Um, so I've had a, a little bit of a, like a varied path, I suppose, as most people have. Um, I was a professional musician for many years. Um, I went and studied music at the Conservatorium of Music here in Australia um, and uh, enjoyed that for a little bit, but decided to drop out and actually take on the um, like sort of like the the stereotypical muso path and recorded a few studio albums and did some touring. Um, and after a little bit, that sort of uh, got a little bit too... Uh, transient for me and I felt like I wasn't really achieving much uh, and made the rather uh, interesting decision to just cut 
music altogether and go into business. And so my first business uh, with my now wife um, was a restaurant um, and that was a heck of a journey. So we had that for a couple of years and then we sold it. Um, and I started doing some consulting and set up a, a bit of a um, digital advertising and a product launch agency um, and did that for a number of years. And then at the end of 2019, I started looking into Web3. Um, and yeah, a bit of a convoluted path to get here. But essentially, um, the reason I became interested in it is I, I had this during sort of like 2019, I had this... Um, this urge to be early. Like I felt like I'd never been early to anything, um, you know, like uh, started a restaurant as a few thousand years late. Um, we, we had a, we had an, e- <laughs> we had an e-commerce business actually, which we still have, but like we probably missed the boat on e-com by maybe like two to three years. There was a real boom period there. And, um, and had we done the exact same thing two or three years earlier, it probably would have been, you know, the difference between like a, a six figure business and a seven figure business. Um, so I, I always felt like I was just on the wrong side of the wrong side of the bell curve, and I was actively looking for something to be early to. Just a weird sort of transient space to be in, um, and I think I came across the idea of NFTs listening to uh, an episode of uh, My First Million Pod where Sean Puri was talking about it, um, and that sort of led me down the rabbit hole looking at NFT art, um, and that was at the. Uh, uh, that was sometime in 2020, but I didn't actually do anything with it at that time. Um, and then it got to the end of 2020 and things obviously started really heating up in that in that space. Um, Nifty Gateway started launching a bunch of stuff. And I think early 2021 was when I actually got into it. So I probably got my dates muddled a little bit there, but that's my convoluted origin story. Yeah, no, it's it's super interesting. It, uh, one thing that you kind of drew attention to was market cycles. Um, it sounds like, you know, you are obviously able to identify market cycles and you know how much more or how much more exponential the returns can be if you're early to a market cycle, right? Um, and I think we all like to say we're early here. It's almost become like a bad word to say, but I mean... That was early, uh, especially to to Web three. I think you know there was obviously crypto early. That was quite a few years before that. But in terms of like the birth of NFTs and really seeing the power of smart contracts, like that that started right around then. Who was the first? Uh, what was the first piece of art you bought? Uh, that was a Bitcoin Angel by Trevor Jones. Um, I know we both we both are Trevor Jones collectors, um, and yeah, that was actually. At the time, it was probably just uh, – actually, I, I really – I specifically remember thinking, all right, um, everything that's been selling on this platform has sort of been going up in value straight away and that feels weird to me. I don't understand it. Like I'm, I, I don't understand this sort of hype around these things but – even open um, you know, editions. Like, yeah, exactly. Open editions. Um, and and I thought, well, look, I'll find one that I like the looks of. And like, I'm not an art collector. I've never even been the slightest bit interested in art. I mean, obviously, you could define music as art, but um, visual art, I, I've never really been into it, um, never collected anything in my life. And so, the idea of, of spending, I think that was 777 US dollars, and I'm obviously Australian, um, on, on, a, on a JPEG, um, yeah, look, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I I was doing it because I hoped that it would go up in value. And ironically, that's one of the only pieces I've never flipped. It's still, I've still got it. Um, even though I bought it hoping that I'd be able to sell it for more. Um, I don't really know how that happened. But uh, yeah, that was my first piece. Um, 
February February 2021. I think my wife found out about it maybe like two months later. I wasn't <laughs> I wasn't gonna tell her that I'd spent that much on a JPEG. But yeah, that that, that started the journey. That uh, isn't that the piece um, from Trevor that if Bitcoin hits seventy thousand, you get yeah. like a, a chance at a one of one from him, if, if I'm not mistaken. Or yeah, I think I think Bitcoin has to hit seventy seven thousand seven hundred. Yeah, yeah, uh, like five sevens. Uh, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's funny because at the time, like during the middle of the or during the peak of like the the most recent sort of bull cycle. I remember jumping into that community and people, that was the thing they were most excited about. Like, never mind the fact that like, if you were, if you were holding crypto, you're just like in a really good position. They were just excited about the, the chance of getting like a, like a one in 4,000 chance of getting this. this one. I almost bought one for that chance. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I, I almost bought, I almost bought more when it, when it was getting closer. <laughs> <laughs> You're just like I'm just fi- trying to find something to hang my hat on. The value's going to yep. go up, so I can justify spending four or five grand. Because I think it. I mean, I don't know if it, did it get up to that high. I mean, it definitely didn't stick around seven seven seven. It was one of the most traded pieces on Nifty Gateway early on. I remember. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it got up into the into the fours. Yeah, it could have gotten higher actually. That was so long ago, and it was funny too because of course at that point we were all denominating everything in USD, or those of us who were collecting on. Nifty Gateway, yeah, came yeah. came somewhat naturally for us to den- denominate in USD, and uh, and then <laughs> I don't know about you, but for me, like a you know within a few months, it was like everything was denominated in in ETH, and uh, at least mentally, and I had to go back to Nifty Gateway every now and then and just you know run the calculation, and be like, oh, you know, what's this piece? So yeah, I remember going through. I remember looking at that Trevor Jones piece and thinking. Hmm, that's an interesting, you know, maybe this, you know, with Bitcoin, I think at that point was getting up close to like maybe 60,000 or in the 50s. And you're just kind of like, oh, there's this added like possibility here. This is a great piece to speculate on. Right. And I mean, that was, I mean, speculation was largely what drove my my first purchases. I'm not going to lie. I mean, I was thinking, uh, you know, when is this thing going to go up and why should it go up and how much should I buy? Um, but then uh, around like April, kind of like right as PAC was releasing the fungible, um, the market just started going all the way down. And, uh, it was, it was an interesting time. I mean, I think that it kind of, it wasn't quite what it is now because there just wasn't as much volume, but that, and up until that point, I had, didn't even have a MetaMask. Uh, did you? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think I did. Um, so I, I had, um, the, the, the point at which I specifically remember being active on OpenSea was before Bored Apes dropped. I don't know when that was. And just like, to be very clear, I did not mint Bored Apes. I sat there and watched them mint out. And, you know, that's obviously going to be a story for, for the kids and the grandkids as to why they don't have generational wealth. But, uh, <laughs> but, um, but I think I got my MetaMask, uh, I don't know, whatever, some, sometime between March and when Bored Apes um, minted, but I hadn't been super active on it. But yeah, it, it definitely felt, felt like a brave new world. Yeah, it was, it was interesting. There was a lot of, of exactly what you would, you know, reflecting back the euphoria that you look for in a bubble. Um, yep. and I remember being in a group chat with, uh, my mentor, Ahek or Josh and everybody, every single day, 
on Nifty Gateway. It was, hey, did you see what's dropping today? What do you think? You're going to go for the open edition? You're going to go for the drawing? What are you going to do? <laughs> it was, it's funny how you like thinking back on that. The most, the most hilarious part about that is that it was based on, um, you know, like internet connection speed and click speed in some cases. <laughs> yeah. To me, that's like, and, and I guess in a way, I'm probably a little bit of a disadvantage there because I'm on the other side of the world from like their servers and, um, and I'm not a gamer or anything. So I'm like just sitting here with my Apple, like my MacBook, like trying to trying to outclick all these gaming <laughs> DGENs. <laughs> just, just wasn't working. It's, but it's funny, hey, because like, you know, then we obviously got used to Gas Wars at some point after that. And yeah. it's almost like buying things on a platform using a credit card. It's just like almost like like boomer tech. I mean, it's obviously yeah. not, but like almost <laughs> felt like why well, the like heck are we ever It's doing- more like e-commerce, like <laughs> yeah, traditional exactly. e-commerce. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny man that was a, that that whole period was was interesting because you know you get into it at least for me i was like okay i'm only going to put in what i'm willing to lose and that quickly went from like five or seven k to like 20 or 30 uh and then you just watch it go down and then all of a sudden this pfp cult, i like craze resurrects the whole market and the only way Nifty really surviving at that point over the course of the months is when they started to integrate in the listings, mm-hmm. right? When they started bringing it in and you could actually buy stuff that was listed on, on OpenSea, on Nifty Gateway. Um, and and yeah. I, I like to think they had some decent art still, but I don't know. Well, it's interesting because um, at least from memory, the, the people, a lot of the people who were into Nifty Gateway stuff, particularly who were collecting NFTs for art, missed the early pfp trend and i was i was one of them even though i'm not an art collector i sort of like understood the use case i was like okay cool i understand this idea of like this sort of uh you know fine fine art collectible you know quote unquote uh you know don't don't want to get on anybody's nerves but um that made sense to me and then like ten thousand monkey cartoons did not make sense to me and then the people who it did make sense to were like DeFi guys right like all the DeFi guys were like Oh, okay. I I see what's happening here. Like, it's got nothing to do with the the JPEG. And and for me at the time, it's probably my own version of being a boomer. I was like, that's not art. That's not art. <laughs> that's not art. That's a picture of a monkey. What was your first PFP? Uh actually, I don't know. And it's funny that that because I obviously didn't have much of a connection to it. I, I can't remember. It, I know that one of my first um, NFTs that I that I sort of like minted um, that was sort of outside that Nifty Gateway realm was a collection called Dream Loops. And that was sort of like music. Well, not sort of music. It, they, were, they were like music NFTs with like cool pixel art um, visuals. Um, and they had like a functionality where you could kind of mix and match like tracks and stuff. And so I was kind of drawn to that as a musician, obviously I thought that was cool, but, um, but you know, like I, I bought them and flipped most of them. And that was, um, I think everybody, nearly everybody was unapologetically a flipper at that point. Um, I, I certainly make no apologies for it. It's, it was just kind of like how things were. Um, and that was, yeah, that was, that was cool. That was actually, I think that was when I had my first 
gas war loss. And then I think I had multiple failed transactions buying them on secondary and you learn really quickly, when, especially when gas was that high and ETH was, I don't know what it was, like in the 3000s maybe at that point yeah, and you're losing like a, like $100 if your transaction fails. Oh, my goodness. You learn really quickly. <laughs> but it's quickly. okay because it's 0.02 ETH. Right. Oh, that yeah. honestly, that it was like it's like you're playing with Monopoly money at that point. But then when you actually sat back to think about it, you're like, that was a lot of dollars, right? Yeah, that yep. was. <laughs> my, my friends and I actually had this um, practice. Uh, a few of my friends who had met on Nifty Gateway. I'm sure you and I had like sort of mutual friends at that point, even. But I had a Discord with a few of my friends. We had this practice where we'd jump on voice chat if one of us was going to make a buy or a sell. And we'd say the US dollar amount out loud to one another. Like, you know, <laughs> rather than just being like, oh, I'm going to list this for like 3.90, it would be like, okay, you know, I'm going to list this for X thousand American dollars. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to make this real, right? Because like, yeah, yeah. 3.5 is like 3.5. Like, it, it actually did help, particularly with the buying side of things. It, it, yeah. it, it helps when you're kind of like, oh my goodness, am I actually going to go and spend, you know, $20,000 on whatever that is? And when you say it out loud, you're like, mm, I don't need to think about this. When I, when I was considering, so I, I sold a five cube uh, for like six or seven ETH at one point. And uh, I was like looking into buying a mutant ape. And my wife was helping me and we were kind of looking at the art. And she goes, finally, she looked at the dollar amount. She's like, are you about to spend $25,000 on a picture of a rotten monkey? <laughs> no, the awful thing about that is it would have been such a good move. <laughs> Best move. I, I even had one transaction fail. Uh, oh, there was like no. this one that came up and I was like, that's it. And like literally like five minutes after that, I was just like sitting there with like the wheel of death. No. Oh, no, this, this is not going through. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it would have been. It would have been. Um, I, I got dominated. I had actually had an episode with a friend of mine. Uh, earlier in the podcast where I shared the shame of having gone through like three or four times of not buying board apes and then finally getting to the other side mint and jumping through all these hoops only to not get it because I didn't have two Ethan gas. Oh no. <laughs> so oh no. That was the one that was like that you could absolutely guaranteed get if you if yeah. you if you paid the gas. Yeah. I had so. I had a few friends who were in that situation um who who I was like in real time, because that obviously went on for a few hours, I was like sending them ETH um, so that they could put their transaction through so they could speed it up because otherwise they, they would have had failed transactions. And I remember kind of just clarifying with them that because the gas was so high, just for me to send them ETH, which is the cheapest um, transaction to make, right, was going to cost like 0.15 ETH oh, Jesus. To, to send them like whatever it was, like an ETH or something. The, the amount doesn't matter. <laughs> and that was and I remember ETH sort of, was three, 3K too. Yeah, and I just remember clarifying with them. I'm like, hey, you know, like I trust you. I'm, I'm happy to lend you like, you know, an ETH. This was like two or three people. Um, but, you know, like this is how much it's going to cost for me to actually transfer it to you. And you're going to have to pay that back as well. It's like an immediate 15% interest. <laughs> or something and they're like yep do it do it <laughs> do it do it did they did they get it did yeah, they yeah everyone, everyone, everyone okay, got yeah. it yeah, yeah. I, I don't know i mean obviously if they sold it within the next week or so then they were up really good so yeah. i guess that that worked out but i'm uh, sorry sorry to hear you missed that that's a bummer hey you know what it um i came to the realization after that that i'm honestly just not good at nft trading um, I still love it. I still buy NFTs every once in a while, but it was good to have that reflection, to be honest. I mean, it was tough at the time. If you watch the episode, I literally 
like shed a tear um, oh. because it was <laughs> like, because I, I went through, I went down the spiral. It was like, shit, I did this and it didn't work out. And like, man, maybe I just have been fooling myself this whole time. You know, like I'm sure you've had moments in your life where you're just kind of like on that downward spiral. You're like, yep. hmm, have I just been wasting my time this whole time? Um, obviously you come out of it and I came out of it within a few hours, but it was, it was tough. It was tough. Yeah. There was, um, to, to that point about like, uh, trading and, and flipping, there was a, a tweet that was making the rounds at the end of June. I've just pulled it up so I could read it. Um, from, from, a, a, an account called jump, jump man, NFT, all one word. And the stat is, um, uh, 1.4 million wallets have traded at least one NFT on an L1. Um, and 5,500 of those wallets have, have realized a profit of 50 ETH or more. So that's the wallet, obviously not an individual trade. Yeah. So out of 1.4 million wallets, five and a half thousand have realized a profit of 50 ETH or more. And then 400 have realized a profit of 500 ETH or more. And then a hundred have realized a thousand ETH or more. But just that, that sort of like contrast between the 1.4 mil and the 5.5 K kind of, you know, it's like being quote unquote good at NFT trading actually to some extent, at least on that level, puts you in in the in the vast minority. Yeah, it's a, it shows you the true like fat tail returns or power laws that come with NFT trading or just speculative right. assets in general, right? Right. I'm, I mean, I'm glad I didn't see this a, a stat like this before <laughs> I started. I, was, I, I would have, I would have just automatically assumed that I would be in the the you know the um the cohort of providing exit liquidity, which I have been many times. Yeah, yeah, of course, me too. Me too. Um, I want to want to change gears a little bit because you know one of the things that really drew me to to you and uh, just the way that you communicated is that it always seems like you're learning, right? Uh, and you're trying to impart what you learn on others. Um, what are your methods for learning? How do you consume content? Do you have ways of you know teaching yourself things? What does that process look like for you? Yeah, it's it's pretty sporadic to be honest. <laughs> um, the for, for me, so like the last um, whatever it's been like eighteen months, um, I've learned a lot um, by by doing right. So just and arguably the best way to learn, um, you know, like you have the, you have your failed gas gas transaction, you try to figure out why, try to figure out how to do that better next time round, and that leads to question of what the heck is a guay? Like why am I paying this guay to some? unknown entity and you know so there's that form of learning where i mean i guess you'd call it just learning through mistakes but um that's uh that's obviously a bit sporadic and um sometimes you want to pursue uh, a a new sort of like field of study for lack of a, a better term and i find that like for me i've i've really uh being in this space has piqued my curiosity on a number of fields that i've never had any exposure to so for instance um, I consider myself economically illiterate. Like there was no such thing as I, I didn't learn economics in in high school. I don't I don't know anyone who did. Um, and then I obviously chose not to study it formally um, in, at a tertiary level. And so I've had no exposure to how how the broader macro economy works. Um, and through being in this space, that's something that uh, has started to stand out to me. I'm tr- trying to understand cycles and like what what factors are influencing the crypto markets and the NFT markets. Um, and so with something like that, what I generally do is just 
have a bit of a like a, a period of focus, like I don't know, a month or something. It's not necessarily preset, but um, I'll just find like the best uh, podcasts on the topic and people who are consistently talking about it, and um, and then kind of hop on Twitter and also find accounts that are. Um, talking about, and there's a certain style of communication that I look for, right? It's not like this, not this sort of like crypto bro, like um, bold prediction, then delete the tweet if if I'm wrong. It's people who are like constantly, you know, going back over things they said three and six months ago and and pointing out where they were right and very importantly, where they were wrong. Um, and, I, you know, I find a few of those sorts of accounts and um, turn tweet notifications on, create lists, and then basically... Every time something pops up that I don't understand, I just spend a little bit of time looking into it and, and trying to gain a better understanding of it. Um, and that, yeah, that sort of branches out. And obviously from there, you, you find new and interesting topics that you enjoy learning about. But um, I, I one thing I'm trying to do over the next sort of like few months is is put a little bit of structure to that. And I'm not really sure how I'm going to go about it. So this is like a work in, in progress, but I do want to sort of like give myself a bit of focus time on a few key areas um, and, and try to actually dig deeper rather than just like waiting for an interesting tweet to show up. So you would, I guess, in that sense, uh, actually like be a researcher, right? Like actually go in, find more podcasts, maybe find books, maybe take a course. I know you recommended some great courses on blockchain at one point, um, but like yeah. actually go in and just approach it kind of like you're studying for an exam, almost like a just completely analytically and critically um, learn a subject. Yeah, and that's something I'd like to give. I'd like to um, create a little bit of space to do. Um, I, I I don't know if the whole sort of like uh, you know textbook studying mm-hmm. format will necessarily work for me, but I have I have certainly looked at a few um, courses. I mean, even something I know I know is a somewhat controversial figure, but even Michael Saylor has a whole essentially free online um, curriculum called Sailor University or something like that. Um, and, and that's basically like uh, what uh, Bitcoin 101, Austrian Economics 101. And so I've just signed up for that. I'm like, you know, whatever, there's going to be a bunch of stuff here that I don't already know. So I'll, I'll, I'll give it a shot. Um, but one thing that actually has really, really helped me with with learning is writing. And I, this is probably a bit generic and a bit cliche, but um, every now and then I'll write a thread and uh, particularly, one good example is I wrote about the um, the ETH merge, and you know this is a term that you just hear thrown around a lot um, in the Ethereum community and and on Twitter, um, and I had no idea what it meant, <laughs> um, but I thought I'll write it. I'll write a thread about it because like you can't unless you're just copy pasting somebody else's content, you can't write a thread about a technical subject without having like a a base level understanding. And I found that really helpful because I felt like I was simultaneously working on something while learning rather than just like just learning for the sake of learning. Um, so it felt productive. Um, and I don't know, like if, if you enjoy, for anyone listening, if you enjoy writing, then that's a really awesome way to learn. Yeah, yeah, I do. I've, I've always, my, my wife shunned me to the podcast first, but I am a, a side writer. So oh, nice. <laughs> she, she says you need to be speaking first, but I promise you, you will write at some point. Because when I was going through my journey of joining Web3 full time, uh, I was like, I'm going to be a writer. She's like, no podcast first. <laughs> so that's why I'm here. Um, but yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. I'll have to actually, I did not catch your, your thread on the merge. I know it was a big subject and I actually was not paying attention during uh, the craze about it. I think it's kind of died down now for obvious reasons, but um, that is that is an interesting subject. And also Michael Saylor does a good job, at least on the podcasts I've heard him on, of 
pulling out the numbers related to PhDs and, and talking about how can we possibly expect everyone to be educated when it costs this much to be a PhD. Mm-hmm. It's shown that only this many people have actually achieved PhDs. And mm-hmm. then even the people that do are in a loads of student debt, right? Yeah. The incentive structure is, is all whacked, right? Yeah. It's completely it's out of whack. It's, it's kind of like a not, not to get too political, but but there's that analogy with politics too, where the the incentive structure to be like the you know the the leader of a nation it it doesn't in many in many cases it doesn't select for the most intelligent competent people. You know you have like edge cases like Singapore where the I don't know what the terminology they use is prime minister or, or, or governor or, or something of Singapore is like a a PhD in math or, and, you know, holds like a couple different degrees or something. And it's like, okay, so what is it about the incentive structure of their political system where somebody like that can rise to that level as opposed to fill in, fill in the blank examples from your country or my country? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, there's, it's Lee Kuan Yew, I believe, was uh, the kind of, um, I guess, person who brought Singapore to the prominence that it's in right now. And a lot of the quotes that I've heard are, I ran it like a business. I ran it like a startup, right? We had to be scrappy. We had to find the best people that, you know, we didn't want to find somebody who's studied economics for 20 years and let them be an economist. We wanted to find people that had studied 18 different subjects and they were polymaths and could provide all kinds of unique viewpoints about economics, right? Whereas our incentive structure in the US and maybe Australia to an extent too, is like, it's, it's totally different. I mean, I, I have the conversation regularly, like, what if we just change the president's salary to $5 million a year? I think we would attract better talent. I know that sounds crazy, but <laughs> yeah. like just that simple fact, like why would someone like Jamie Dimon or Jeff Bezos or like somebody who you would consider a very smart person uh, who's running very successful billion dollar businesses, why would they want to be president? Mm. Right. If that's who you want in president. But why would someone who's successful in business want to be president if they got to take a massive pay cut at the very least, if nothing else? Right. Other than the stress that goes with being the president of the United States or the president of a country or the prime minister of a country, you really need like the incentive structure to bring in the talent. Right. And that starts with pay. But obviously there are other factors. (laughs) Yeah, it's a it's a tricky it's a tricky situation. There's a lot of. um, there's a lot of nuance, I think, to um, thinking about political systems as they exist and, and potentially as they may exist in the future. I know that um, uh, like a podcast I just listened to recently was um, uh, Tim Ferriss's latest interview with Balaji. Um, oh, and that, I haven't caught it yet. Right, because he's just released his book, The the Network State, I believe. Um, and man, I, I mean, one thing I love about listening to that guy is I've never felt dumber in my life than every time I, every time I listen to him, which is a beautiful, it's a beautiful feeling. Like I, oh, yeah. I, I love that. It's so humbling. Um, he, he's the definition of a gigabrain, but yeah. hearing him kind of fuse, I'm, I'm not going to attempt to do it justice, but hearing him fuse um, the sort of like the topics of geopolitics and um, you know, Bitcoin maximalism and like, you know, whatever, web web three technology, distributed communities. It's insane. It's like just a whole nother level of thinking. Yeah, it is. It is. And I, I feel Raul Paul is similar. I don't know if you ever follow Raul yes. Paul. Yeah. Great thinker in the macro space too. So if you are if you were following the rabbit hole of of learning macroeconomics, I imagine you came across him, right? 
Yeah, I've actually been thinking of signing up for Real Vision. I have a, a few yeah. friends who are, who are signed up. Are you in Real Vision? No, I've also been thinking, I'll do it with you. How about that? We can join together and conquer it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we'll just start, 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 um, start spending money on things that have like a um, you know, like an intrinsic sort of holistic return and investing in yourself instead of flipping JPEGs. <laughs> instead <laughs> of flipping JPEGs. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, well, I'm glad we got to talk a little bit about your learning methods. Um, it's it's really important. I'm I'm a hyper curious person myself, and then I assume, or at least I'm what I'm trying to impart on my audience is that sense that you should always be learning. Right. This is a space where a couple months can feel like a couple years. Every week, there's something new coming out, and it it works in two ways, in my opinion. It, it works to keep you constantly excited right? About what's mm-hmm. on the horizon, but it also works in the other way where you can feel constantly overwhelmed. One of your most powerful threads that I read, and I think it's your pin thread was talking about burnout, right? And it's like, it's easy when you get in this space to just get overwhelmed with all the different use cases and all the technical limitations and all the security stuff. And it's just, there's a lot going on all the time. Yeah, absolutely. And, and also I suppose there's an element of, um, uh, like self-directed uh, either uh, like I suppose either learning or, or participation that the fact that there's no structure around it right like like you would have in um in a nine-to-five or in a maybe like a, a university curriculum and where we can uh I don't know about you but for me it's been sort of like 18 months of like rolling out of bed at six in the morning grabbing a coffee and then just like sitting in front of my laptop and you know either degening or learning or researching or writing whatever the case may be and because there's a for me personally because I, I i was stupid enough to to not put a sort of like a healthy structure around it some days i'd just be doing that until it got dark and i'd like kind of look out the window and realize that oh it, oh now it's night time <laughs> and that's i mean I, you know you don't need to be a genius to know that that's not healthy yeah. um yeah. I, I, but it kind of lends itself this space lends itself to that sort of form of participation there's that combination of sort of like um you know competitiveness like I don't know there's a lot of sort of Wall Street bro energy in in yes. the space, but but I think there's also it attracts a lot of sort of Type A personalities, and if you've got a bunch of Type A personalities participating in one arena, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's not be to some- mention there's no boundaries, right? Like, yeah. So like like, and I mean like geographic boundaries, right? Mm-hmm. So like everybody everywhere, if you if you're sleeping for five minutes or you're not paying attention for five minutes, at some points you felt like you were missing out. Many, many times. <laughs> <laughs> and many times you did miss out, right? Like, that was the hard part is that you kept getting proven wrong. And no matter how unhealthy the FOMO feeling is, uh, you just, I mean, I remember the FOMO drop, right? <laughs> like, right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's so many examples of that, like um, like that sort of like, and I guess it's like the, also the relationship to your um, sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system where you can be like winding down, like for instance, the, um, the, both the FOMO drop Actually, I don't know. I don't remember the FOMO drop. Um, for me, that was late at night. But um, when Park first opened their Discord, um, I was lying in bed, um, you know, about to about to fall asleep. And then there was like a, I had tweet notifications turned on and I just so happened to like pick up my phone and like saw a notification and got in the Discord. And But, but it's moments oh, like that. Oh, on the first like, try? That's Right, amazing. yeah. So the first, yeah. right, which was so whatever, the first hundred people or something, um, which at the time felt like something spectacular but i remember that i remember the feeling that because i sort of got in and there were a bunch of people in there saying you know gm gm oh we in the first 100 whatever and then all of a sudden 
whichever, I'm going to butcher this, whichever nervous system uh, I, I was in switched to the other one, which you don't want to be in, you know, the, the, the fight and flight yeah. if you're just about to go to bed. And then I was up for another three or four hours. I was like, oh, this is so exciting. Everything's happening. And that happens a few times a week. It does. And then that stacks up and then that happens a few, then you're at a month or two or three or four or five or six and your body's dead. You just can't maintain it. Like no matter what you put in it. Um, so what, what was it? I I do want to get back to regularly scheduled programming, but what was, what was your, I saw the, the, the tweet thread. Did you start practicing the things that you were tweeting about and kind of get back on track at that point? Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, so for me, it was, I mean, part of, part of it obviously is that like being switched on all the time and I'm not going to pretend that I would have uh, been able to sort of like break out of that cycle had we still been like in the, the hype of, uh, you know, full crypto bull market and NFT bull market. I don't know if I would have been able to. I don't know if I'd have the like the discipline to walk away from opportunities for the sake of, you know, like, I don't know, like getting out in, in nature. But I, I have been very, uh, yeah, I have been... Uh, very consistent in a couple things um my wife and i go for a walk every afternoon you know like uh, like four or five kilometers in the quote-unquote the bush here in australia um and just you know like you obviously don't take phones or anything like that and just just get out and like smell the different smells and hear the beautiful sounds of the you know, birds and the rainforest and stuff just all that sort of gear where it's like okay that's there's got to be something healthy about that forest bathing i think they call it um uh yeah doing doing trying to trying to do a little bit more exercise obviously that goes hand in hand um and then the other thing for me has really been like um being mindful of putting sort of like putting gaps in between um uh, periods of time spent on i don't know the laptop or, or the phone or something and, and really um making sure that there's uh, space, uh, whether it be to like go and cook a healthy meal, you know, like actually chop up vegetables, uh, you know, what is such simple stuff, right? But, but it, you know, it might take half an hour to make a healthy dinner. It might take five minutes to cook some shit that, yeah, you know, that, that you know, you <laughs> put it in the eating. microwave, <laughs> right? Right. So, but, but, the, you know, but the, that half an hour is obviously incredibly valuable if you can nourish your body the right way. And anyway, all this sort of stuff. I don't want to come off as like a, I don't want to LARP as a nutritionist. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, you, you aren't, but it, like what it, it's almost like it, it, there's like a, a beauty in just actually preparing the meal, right? Yeah. It happens to also be healthy, but like just the act of like, all right, I've got like five or 10 different ingredients here and I've got to prep those ingredients before I start cooking them. And I do, I like that a lot. I've actually never really thought about that. Me and my wife get in like this routine of like, uh, we're going to have you know, spaghetti bolognese this night, we're going to have salmon with teriyaki sauce this night, we're going to have this, but like having to go in and like actually think about the ingredients and everything is, it makes a difference. I'm sure. Do you know what's a life hack to that? Um, uh, well, sorry for me, I, obviously I'm, there, there might be different uh, opinions on this, but, um, I found that, and this kind of comes back to art in a way, or like a, a, a one form of art. Um, I really like knives and uh, there was there was one point a few years back where m- my wife and I were going to buy like a like a really expensive knife block as sort of like our Christmas present to ourselves. Um, and I had a look at it, and there were like whatever I don't know, like eight knives or something. And I knew that I would only use like two of them. It's just this whole like nice knife block sitting on your kitchen bench. But from from my own sort of like cooking practice, um, 
I know that like say 90% of the time I'm using like a like a 20 centimeter chef knife or a 22 centimeter chef knife. And then the rest of the time I'm just using like random other little knives. Um, and so instead of buying the knife block, I bought myself like a really, really nice Japanese chef's knife, you know, like folded yeah. steel, all, the, yeah. all, all this stuff and learned how to sharpen it on whetstones. Um, and I find that even now, I haven't been as uh, diligent with keeping it as sharp as it should be, but I find that actually the process of preparing dinner, I get enjoyment out of it because I'm using that tool. It's just a, a beautiful tool. And there's an element of art in that, which is which is kind of cool. So that's a, a bit of a hack for me. I like that. I mean, it's almost like you uh, I can't remember who it was. Uh, somebody on Tim Ferriss, it, he was like a wealth manager or something, but he says you find the things that you really like and just turn it up a notch. Maybe spend a little bit more than you're comfortable with investing in that. And trust me, you'll take it a little bit more seriously. And just by virtue of doing that, you kind of build that kind of like mental, like I belong here using this nice knife. For me, it's running. Like I belong here wearing these nice running clothes, right? Um, but I can see that for sure, for sure. Mm. Um, so yeah, I, I appreciate you kind of elaborating on that. I think that that is one of the things that this fa this space faces a lot. I don't think a lot of people are facing it right now necessarily, at least not for the same reasons. Um, but it's good to know that like, you know, what, what are different techniques that can help you get back to, to that space? I, I find it really interesting. Just a quick, like personal side from my story is, I, I was uh, in-house counsel at a software company up until February of this year. I started trading NFTs just about the same time you did, uh, early 2021. And I was doing it in my spare time uh, from my job. And any moment that I had, I was in Discord. I was figuring out what I was doing or I was on WhatsApp group chats and I was trying to buy a JPEG and I was trying to just you know figure out like what the next great move was. But as soon as I quit my job, I actually spent less time in Discord and I, and I spent a lot less time buying NFTs and I started just meeting with people as much as possible. Like just like people that I may have interacted with a little bit, I would just meet up with them. If it, if it was a remote, then we met on Discord. And then sometimes there were people that I knew were in Web3 in Atlanta and I would just be like, hey, dude, you want to go grab coffee? Right. And like having those conversations and everything, I'm not saying like either way is the right way, but it was really helpful for just my whole like I didn't get as much of like emotional pull into the NFT space as frequently when I was just starting to like, I don't know, I say build. Right. Um, but I guess it's kind of cliche now. But I don't can, know, I, you, can I ask you then like yeah. how because that's like I resonate with that. I, I've had very, very limited opportunities to meet people Um in real life from from web3 um partly being in australia partly also not living in like one of our very few major cities but um i, I resonate like the few times i've met up with people it, it doesn't even necessarily matter how into it they are it's just kind of feels really healthy to have a conversation with people who are, are kind of understand what you're talking about and have experienced some of the things you've experienced but as far as the virtual ones go like you said you you started spending less time in discord and you just started mm -hmm. jumping on calls with people were they people that you new or did you sort of like go out of your way to like network a little bit and if so like how did you approach that yeah i actually just would send kind of like a, i sent you uh, <laughs> like a dm yeah, yeah. i was just like that, hey man <laughs> yeah I, I that's exactly what i do and people want to talk right and and i think a lot of people i mean you're not face doxed for the audience we never address that that's why you see picture of the moon bird uh but now this is what i look like in real life yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I like it. You got nice blue eyes, man. Um, so, so brooding. No, like, like, like there is, and people like they start to realize this after you connect with them. Like, there's a whole nother level of connection just by the spoken word, right? And then I would start to turn on my video first because I didn't really care about being doxxed. Like, I have a pseudonym. My pseudonym on is Off Edge, but like, I didn't. I wasn't like hiding who I was. And so like, I like started to reach out to people. I'm like, Hey, this has been a great conversation on discord. Oh, I saw your conversation with so-and-so. Would you ever want to like connect? I think you and I could like share some really cool thoughts. And I just made friends that way. It was like, it was almost like I was like going to like the bar. Right. And I'm like, Hey, want to talk? <laughs> right. Or at like a networking event. And like, because I don't think a lot of people do that, people were pretty open to it. Like very rarely did anybody ignore me or like blow me off. Right. And I ended up making like, I mean, a lot of my first podcast guests came from that. And my podcast guests now come from that. Just mm. being willing to, to put yourself out there and say, hey, you want to have a conversation? Right. Um, it's not much more complicated than that. I like I like what you just said, that n- not a lot of people do it. And therefore, it's almost like the um, it's, it's almost like the the um, the reaction to that sort of outreach, whereas in Web2 or the corporate world, it might be sort of like, ah, don't bother me, like enough of this unsolicited crap. But yeah. I don't yeah, know who no, you I, are. I, who are you? Yeah. But, yeah, yeah. And I got I got anxiety about it. I was like, oh, I'm not like a board ape collector or like, a, you know, or anything like that. But eventually I was just like, screw it. I'm like, I want to just talk to interesting people. And now I am. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you asking that. It's it's helpful for people to know how to how to network because I think a lot of people just think you have to meet people in the Discord and you have to have extensive conversations. And for the audience, like other than like two or three tweets, like you and I have never talked, right? We talked for a little bit before the episode, but you know, I I just got your vibe, and you know, now we're having a really interesting recorded conversation. I'm yeah, sure you, I, I'm sure you've had those conversations too with your friends where you're like, we should have totally recorded that. Right. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Absolutely. For sure. But but I, I like I appreciate you answering that though because even like even for me, I, I, well I don't know. Even for me, that sounds weird. But like I I don't um, like I'm kind of too shy to like cold DM people. I always think I'm imposing. Like you know, well, even you, if can, would- you can say even for you because you have a lot of followers, like especially for Twitter. So like you are in a you are in a position of like whether you want to be or not is of social hierarchy. Don't say the word. Of- don't say the word, the I word. Don't say it. <laughs> I didn't. I was going to say social, <laughs> social capital. And, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> but like you, you are. You wouldn't expect. I w- if you told me you were shy, I would. I would be surprised. Sorry, it's, I cut you off there. No, for sure. It's it, say, but. it's kind of like easy to be. I think if you're say like if you're if you're writing a tweet or something like that, it, it's you spend time on it. Or even if you wrote a blog post or, or an email newsletter, it's kind of easy to get to get to a point where like if you spend enough time on it, you're going to be sort of like happy with the product. You're happy to hit send. But I don't know. For me, it's like a very different feeling to jump on audio or to sort of like cold DM somebody. I would say that actually, I have some friends who have podcasts in the Web two space, and um, as far as this whole sort of bullshit social hierarchy thing. Sorry, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to swear here. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're good. But, you're but good. yeah, like there's some social hierarchy thing goes. I have, I have friends who are, you know, um, within their industry sort of like quote unquote were nobody's sort of thing, but they just started like reaching out to people and ended up getting, particularly in this like the sort of like the digital advertising space, I have friends who have like interviewed some of the biggest names in the world and they're still not like, 
they haven't done anything else. And again, this is that weird sort of social hierarchy thing, which I hate the the vibe of, but um, I kind of asked them like, what, like how, how did you get that person to talk to you? And they were like, oh, I just like, I just kept emailing them like once a month. I'm like, wait, so you, so you annoyed them into talking to you? And they're like, yeah, yeah, pretty much. Like, you know, eventually they, they set, set a date. I'm like, I mean, I admire the hustle, but I can't do that. I feel, I feel weird doing that. <laughs> Let me tell, I'm, I'm going to be uh, vulnerable here. I actually get more nervous like communicating on Twitter openly oh, than really? I do DMing someone. Like I'd much rather DM you and be like, hey, dude, can we connect sometimes? You're cool, right? Then like actually getting out there and typing an answer to your thing and getting back and forth. Like I have to say like a lot of times I'll respond to someone – of social hierarchy like you. Uh, and I'll be like, oh, did I say that the right way? Should I say it differently? Like, I feel like I was dating a girl almost, you know, for the first time. Hey, like, hey, hey we need to coach each other. Okay, we there we go. <laughs> <laughs> the yin and the yang. Let's make it happen. I mean, we're going to be taking real vision courses together now. So, right. <laughs> you know, we're studying together. We're learning together. We're communicating together. <laughs> yeah, right. We're like we're like a couple of a couple of college kids. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Except for this time, I actually get a lot out of college. I don't know about you, but when I went last time, it was just about one thing. Right. Yeah. 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 Well. Yeah. That and maybe maybe some other things, but definitely that. Yeah. yeah. Actually, well, I, 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 the other things fun- I don't know if I want to make those motions on. <laughs> <laughs> actually, I have a, a little funny anecdote about that. Um, a, a little while back, um, I posted a. A photo on my Twitter. It, I don't know if it, it might still be there. It might not be. Um, of my my wife and I were on a like a short vacation, and I posted a photo of us like sitting up on a on a hill looking over the ocean, and all you could see as far as like our bodies were were um, our our pants, and we had UGG boots on. I don't know if that's an Australian thing, but people tend to know what they are. Yeah, um, I know, knew. Like I knew fur- what they were. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, like furry boots. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> like, okay. This reaction from you. <laughs> In in America, I found out very shortly after I posted that that there there's kind of like a I don't know like a stereotype around UGG boots, uh, and I got so much shit from from my um, Web three friends, and, and one of them said the only people in America who wear UGG boots are college girls getting around in their pajamas. Like he, he said, the walk like, of shame. Yeah, he's like pajamas and UGG boots or something. And he's like, that's now, that's like how I think of you and your wife sort of thing. So uh, You're like, no, they're from Australia. They're legitimate. Yeah. That There are purposes for wearing these things. Dude, I don't get it. They're, they are they are comfortable. They are warm. They are practical. You can go into your house, then outside of your house, down the beach. Oh, that fantastic shoes they um i would say they have like the like social stigma of bougie in america in my opinion so they're oh, like bougie yeah so like if you're like i think this is kind of a weird example but it's the first one that popped in my head um when you're maybe uh get, going through security at an airport and you see the priority lane a lot of people in the priority lane rocking nugs oh really mm-hmm. oh that's funny <laughs> That is so funny because like for, for me, it's like I'll only wear them on like the coldest days here because I, I live in a fairly warm climate. So, I'll only wear them when it's really, really cold. And then any any time other than that, I'm wearing what we call thongs. I think you guys call them flip, flip-flops or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, like, yeah. Like well, we have a different kind of thong. Right, right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like 90% of the year, I'm wearing flip-flops, which are obviously, you know, the, the furthest thing away from bougie that you can get, right? Like. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, they're, they're definitely like beach vibes. Um, but anyways, all right. Sorry, I hijacked, I hijacked your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All right, now it's over. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so, you know, I do want to ask my one of my most traditional questions, and I am very excited to hear your answer, which is, how do you define Web3? Why did you have to say I'm very excited to hear your answer before that? Everybody's waiting for something insightful. (laughs) (laughs) If it makes any difference, I've also said that to other guests. So, like, okay, fantastic. Yeah, you're all good. You're just another Uh, guest. So it's um, yeah, it's weird, right? Because like the easiest thing to do is draw a corollary to to Web two, and that that's probably the easiest way for most people to begin to understand it, but. I think something that really resonates because I, I, I know that like the, the question is sort of generally posed by people who are new to the space. And so something that um, I think really resonates with people is this idea of um, uh, control of information or control of data, right? It's obviously something that's been a, a little bit of a contentious issue over the, the past few years, more so than ever before. And <clears throat> The easiest way that I like to sort of explain it to people I, I, in this sort of scenario, I, I try to imagine how I would explain it to my parents who are in their 60s, which I, I've done before. So um, the easiest way I, I attempt to explain it is that Web3 sort of aims to remove control of the internet as a whole from like monopolistic sort of entities like big tech companies and basically return that control or that ownership of data and content to the users of the network. So a a company, uh, Web2 is companies own the networks, Web3 is communities own the networks. And so theoretically, Web3 lets anybody build anything on the internet without having to rely on um, centralized monopolies. And that's obviously a little bit vague and it opens a massive can of worms, but that's kind of like the 101 from my perspective. Yeah, I think that's a great way to explain it. And it it has a lot of overlap with other definitions, but the way that you worded it in terms of who controls the network is completely novel. Um, I, I do not hear that quite often. While while there is, is often the the comparison of like Facebook to, you know, now owning your data, Facebook used to own your data, like the way that you explained it is interesting. And I like that you gave the context of explaining it to a boomer. Right. Um, yeah. That is one thing uh, amongst my family and friends as I've done this podcast that they keep asking, they're like, can you just make an episode where if my parents listen to it, they can have a conversation with me about Web3? Yeah, that is, man, that is so important. This is something I've thought about a lot in terms of like uh, what should be what should be built in this space. And I think particularly um, uh, like audio onboarding is important, right? Because podcasts have become so sort of pervasive in our lives in, in a good way. Like most people will listen to some form of audio while they're doing mundane tasks um, during the day. And I think the, the opportunity to actually learn the, the 101 of any given topic by hearing somebody explain it um, in, in such a way that's just uh yeah <laughs> caters caters to boomers it's funny funny that you say that i've actually been called a boomer a few times in this space which is ridiculous and i take great offense <laughs> to it but but actual boomers we know you're actually a disguised boomer <laughs> yeah well, well i'm well i'm th- i'm 31 and i like obviously you know you never know who you're hanging out with until you actually ask people their age and i've been in rooms i'm sure you're the same i've been in rooms where like there's a there's like a 17 year old and then there's a 60 year old and like 
that, you know, there's, there's sort of like a little bit of nuance in the way they communicate that might give it away a tiny bit, but really not enough that you would know there's that much of a difference between them. So I've had to ask what a lot of words mean, like based king stuff. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> what is that? Please explain this. Thank you, Rombrandt, for explaining it to me and not calling me a moron. <laughs> well, actually, you know what? Go ahead. If you want to, I don't know what base king means. I mean, what does just, that mean? It, the way he explained it to me is like, it's just like a really cool dude, right? <laughs> I'm just like, based king? I'm like, based uh, on so what? What are you based on? Are you based on fairy tale? Are you based on this? And they're like, no, no, no. Based means just like, cool, man. Like, he's like, what's up, dude? I'm like, Huh? All right. <laughs> now I feel like a boomer. I'm 36, but <laughs> I feel like a boomer. <laughs> right. You, 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 I think I think to some extent you and I are definitely boomers, at least in this space. When you said based king, what are you based on? <laughs> kind of, you know, okay, now I know there, there are a few people I see in discords. There's one person in particular who, who uses based in their name. I see them everywhere. And now I know that they're just kind of like um, peacocking cool. essentially. Yeah, no, no, exactly. no, they're not cool. They're trying to sell No, they're not cool. cool. They're trying to be cool. <laughs> they're trying, yeah. <laughs> Aesthetically speaking. Um, yeah, that's interesting. All right, so I have a proposal for you, and I'm making it on the podcast, so you have to accept it. Are you ready? Ooh. Let's collaborate on a uh, Web3 for Boomers podcast. Oh, that'd be cool. I'd... Uh... I would love to do it. I don't know, like, I don't know if I'm the right person to do it. I don't have deep technical knowledge, but if, I mean, if you if you think we could do something cool, then yeah, sure. Maybe we'll go. We'll do the real vision class. We'll figure it out. It'd be kind of cool. You don't have to answer now. We can you can answer later. Uh, I'm com- I'm completely open to it. I just want to make sure that I I'd be the right person to. I mean, like giving giving like a three sentence answer to what Web three is is different to like getting getting a boomer from like zero to a hundred. <laughs> but I mean, think of it, and and this is this is what's helpful about it is the way I think about it is not that you need the boomer to be a participant in the space, although that would be nice. I think about it in the sense that the boomer wants to be able to have a conversation with their children between the ages of fifteen and forty about the space and how how can you equip them for that like they don't necessarily need to know what the difference between layer ones are but they do need to know what the difference like why what is eth right Mm. just broadly speaking so i don't know we can spitball it a little bit no i like uh, that that's that's a really good point actually is is that they need to know enough to be to, to to maintain their relevance within their community as this tech grows Right. And didn't just say yes when their kids say, just give me 10% of your wealth to invest. <laughs> right. Okay. This, this is quickly becoming like a, um, like a, like a, some sort of investment advisory service or something. We're, we uh, don't worry. Get- I have a very good disclaimer. I'm a lawyer, so oh, I have a yeah, really yeah, good yeah. disclaimer. No, no, no I, I know actually. I listened to that. <laughs> The first time I listened to your podcast, I was like, "Cool, cool, this has got a good vibe." And then, like, <laughs> then there's a, a what is it? A, a like a, a woman's French voice of our certified attorney. <laughs> yeah, and, and like speaking like real fast, and I, and I was like, "Wow, this is like this is heavy stuff." And then back into like the funky vibe. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyways, uh, I wanted to kind of uh, get into if you have something that you want to share sort of the mental models uh, that you use um, to approach this space if there's certain things that when you're looking either at a collection or at a project or at a protocol or trying to understand something better are there certain models that you use um, to help you better understand it and kind of approach it from more of an objective perspective 
at the moment, and especially in this sort of environment um, where I'm personally not deploying much capital at all, um, there's a few things that I've started to pay attention to over the over the past few months, and it was I, I was I was starting to think this way uh, even sort of like during the height of like sort of November December, and the the reason I was starting to think this way is because it felt to me like um, like there was just there was too much trash. Aside from the fact that it was it was pretty obvious whether you study economics or not that we were in like a bit of an everything bubble. So like you know, you have the everything bubble, then you have the risk assets bubble, then you have the crypto bubble, then you have the you know blue chip NFT bubble, and then you have all this speculative junk. Like we were in the the, the biggest bubble of any other bubbles. We were in the cumulative bubble. So at, like at that point for me, I was like, okay, obviously uh, this is unsustainable. Um, therefore, if if I do want to continue participating in the space and continue investing in the space, um, what are some things that I feel would be important going into what is inevitably going to be like a downturn, whether it's, whether it lasts for a month or a year or whatever, it's, it's obviously coming. So this is, you know, December last year or or January, February this year. Um, And one thing that started standing out to me was as much as we sort of like glorify um, decentralization, anonymity, and you know, and let's just throw in a pinch of hypocrisy here because I'm anonymous slash pseudonymous, um, semi-doxed through my lovely wife at this point, but at the moment still not necessarily. Uh, you know, you're looking at a pixelated owl, but yeah, um, but, but no, I started to <laughs> yeah, that's me, yeah, yeah, um, those those Scandinavian eyes. <laughs> 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 um, but I, I started thinking, uh, I started placing value in um in the idea of doxed founders and i know that's a bit contentious but keeping in mind this was the 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 framework for this sort of mental model was uh if if nfts uh go into like a deep sort of winter if crypto itself goes into a deep winter and i want to be you know still deploying capital during that period of time the risk to reward is just not there for for like uh, for most projects founded by anonymous founders. Now, there's like a weird gray area where there's uh, like, for instance, some people who follow me, right, who who don't know me in real life. If I launched an NFT um, of any sort, um, there there are people in my following who would feel enough trust in me to purchase it. And so there's there's obviously those sort of like yeah, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> there's obviously those sort of use uh, like edge cases, um, uh, but. For the most part, and particularly particularly when you're talking about deploying larger amounts of capital, I I, um, I started formulating um, my thinking around um, people who had, um, if not like proven track records in Web two, at, at least some sort of reputational stake. And this is the thing that is so important in my mind. Um, obviously, you can have a reputational stake as an anonymous person to some extent. Like I have a reputational stake as, as Jameson, but it doesn't necessarily affect my IRL reputation. But when you have people like, I mean, I'll use Moonbirds as an example because obviously I'm you know, part of that community. Um, when they dropped, I was buying one no matter what. I didn't get in on the raffle. I knew I had to fork out a ridiculous amount of money on secondary, but I was buying it no matter what. And the reason is because I've obviously followed Kevin Rhodes for a long time and he has an IRL reputation, which by the way is a solid reputation. And he's staking that thing on this project right now. I mean, at the very least, if he rugged, he'd be his reputation would be ruined. But even if the project failed, 
it, it's not that his reputation would be ruined, but his reputation is certainly tied to it. And so when when I started thinking about like what I might want to invest in over the next sort of like six to twelve months, um, I do have a, a bit of a natural bias towards investing in projects that have people on the other end of them or te- teams or founders who have reputational risk. That that's kind of like the, the thesis at the moment. I, I completely agree. And if you didn't point that out, I was going to. And that that transcends the doxed versus not doxed. It just so happens that more often the doxed people have more of a reputation because it's tied to in real life. But you still have a reputation. It just happens to be purely digital, right? When it comes to who Jameson or Friendly Jameson is, right? Yeah, it's actually a weird. It's a weird thing too because I, I've only started really thinking about it in the last few months um, where... I've never felt like I have. The whole point of being pseudonymous in the first place, right, or or anonymous, is that you don't have reputational risk. Like that, that's in in many ways that is actually the point, right? You can, you know, maybe like uh, particularly within um, uh, uh, when maybe it comes to sensitive topics, it, it could be any sensitive topic, but like the idea that you can share an opinion freely without. <sighs> Yeah, you know, without it uh, imposing a reputational risk to your in real life, you know, without the idea that somebody might try to quote unquote cancel you who you are on your on your birth certificate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and that was the, that was part of the allure at first, and uh, I think I've told you before I never really intended to try and grow a quote unquote following. But now it is weird because now now even as an anonymous individual, I feel like I have a reputational risk, and so my reasons for remaining anonymous are diminishing a little bit there's still the personal security thing which um which was the the primary reason in the first place but my um, beautiful wife has gone ahead and dashed our hopes for um you know personal security (laughs) just hire hire (laughs) some private security at your house 24 hours a day no big deal right (laughs) but anyway i mean it doesn't matter i'm not i'm not a big enough whale for that but um but yeah that sort of idea of reputational risk as an anonymous individual is fascinating it's multifaceted and it's really and it's really fascinating i think of people like um people who i look up to in the space like who who are um, still i would say still anonymous like somebody like zeneca who who obviously uses his first name in in his letters but um you know it's it's kind of like halfway between I, I suppose um somebody like that i see them in in many ways having more of a reputational risk for their for their um online persona or their pseudonym than they do in real life uh, I, I assume that but this might be too much of an assumption, but I assume that Zeneca is "quote unquote" bigger as Zeneca than he is as his has you know his IRL name, um, yeah. and that's a weird. So sort is of he crossing. is Zeneca not doxed his real name because he's obviously doxed his face. He's on a podcast. Yeah, and he uses his. I know he uses his first name. I don't know. Um, I don't know whether he uses his last name. Um, the 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 other reason I use his, him as an example because he. Uh, Lives in a, he lives in a similar region to, to what I do in Australia. He, he he's not here currently, but he um, his home is in a in a sort of similar area to mine here. Um, I don't know if he's actually doxed his full name, so I guess that's not not for me to say. But um, but but it is interesting to think that um, in in his particular case, and I'm probably headed this way a little bit on a you know micro micro sort of scale. My uh, digital persona or my Web three persona probably has um, more quote unquote uh, clout. It comes back to that stupid social hierarchy thing. You know, it has more sort of clout or influence or whatever the word you want to use than what I carry IRL in, you know, the industries that I've been involved in IRL. And which is a weird thing. It's a weird feeling. Um, but yeah, I think I think there's that strange sort of 
um, crossover that's occurring. Um, yeah. At least it's a normal name. I mean, when I try to explain to people who 6529 is or 4156, they're like, why are you saying numbers? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's weird. Uh, yeah, and uh, pseudonyms are so strange. Hey, like, I mean, that's actually one thing I love to ask people. Um, I, I, you've probably answered it on the show before, but I, people who just have like what what is not essentially just a regular human name as their as their screen name, I always like. I'm always super curious to hear why. Uh, yeah, I can answer. Um, so my my pseudonym is Off Edge. Uh, it is derived from hanging off edge. I wrote two blog posts uh, about stocks about a year ago. And I I don't come from finance background. Uh, I didn't come from investment banking. I didn't get my MBA. I got my law degree. And in the world of investment, uh, your advantage is called your edge, right? And so the kind of metaphor that I wanted to paint was that I was hanging off the edge because I was not coming from that traditional background. And eventually it got shortened off edge. Ah, oh, cool. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. So like even even my um, my ENS domain for my hot wallet is hanging off edge.eth. Uh, so before I shortened it, but eventually I was like, that's, that's just a mouthful. Are these so much easier. Are these blog posts out there or are they uh Yeah, gone? yeah, they're still on Medium. We'll we'll put the link in the show notes folks. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> um well, we're running up on over an hour. This has been a great conversation, but I do have my traditional closing question that I oh, want to okay. ask you. Um so, let me ask you this. Where do you see yourself in web3 in the next 6 to 12 months and where do you see yourself in web3 in the next 5 to 10 years? Yeah, that's the first one's tricky. The second one's easy. Um, the first one largely depends on what uh, you know what what occurs within the space, um, and not just not just in terms of like the price of Ethereum or Bitcoin or Solana or the price of various NFT collections. But obviously, we had a we had a dramatic adoption curve um you know throughout 2021 and i think like uh for instance i think june was the lowest nft trading volume in over 12 months so so needless to say the the adoption curve has sort of slackened off and for me personally the idea of like what like what i'll be doing in this space over the next six to 12 months one of them one of the answers is really basic which is just like building relationships like i'm i'm really excited about the idea of certain individuals leaving the ecosystem because they were only here for you know for uh, sort of like a, a quick buck and um you know there's various sort of influences and such who move on to the next shiny object and so i love the idea of meeting people when everybody is poor <laughs> Because I think that um, you know, obviously, there's there's an element of that that reveals um, character and intent, um, and in in that way, I, I'm I, I'm absolutely not trying to curse us, but in that way, I kind of hope that we go through a little bit of a prolonged period of um, you know, whatever, just you know, like down sideways, meh, nothingness. Um, because I, I think it's really healthy to to sort of like shake out back down to that core community. You hear stories of people who are in this space in 2017, 18 and the relationships they formed. And, you know, there's some, obviously there's some of the really big names in the space now, like, um, you know, Lupify and Jimmy and Pranksy and those, those sorts of guys. Um, and you hear about like the conversations they were having during the bear market 
Um, and that, that's sort of like, in a weird way, I sort of romanticize that, the idea of this community shrinking back down. And I know that's, that's probably controversial and it's not everyone wants that. And part of me doesn't want it as well. But next six to 12 months, um, really excited about the idea of just building more relationships, um, hopefully producing some more content myself. Um, but the next five to 10 years, that's, that's easy for me. I see it, it doesn't, it doesn't matter whether it's called web three or not, um, I see this uh, this technology to, to borrow a, to, to um, butcher a, a term from uh, Mark Andreessen. I, I see this technology eating the world. Um, and uh, one thing I said to my wife actually when when I first jumped into um, NFTs, um, once I had admitted that I spent you know a thousand Australian dollars on a JPEG <laughs> shortly after that, um, I, I obviously had some digging to do. I was <laughs> trying to explain to her like gotta justify the, this, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like what the heck all this all this stuff is, and I, and. The thing that became really clear to me early on, which sounds sort of trite, like it sounds, uh, it sounds like unimportant at this point, but it, it was it was important to me. This idea that um, the only way we have a, a future without block, blockchain technology itself is if we have a future without the internet. And we all know what that looks like, right? We're, we're not worried spears. about our NFTs if we don't have no internet. right. We're you know yeah. whatever throwing spears at each other. You know. <laughs> um, Quite literally. But, yeah, but um, the yeah the idea that like uh, blockchain technology is now is now ubiquitous enough that for as long as we have the internet, we'll have that technology. So the 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 level of adoption, the curve of adoption, the preeminent um, you know platforms or marketplaces, none of that means anything to me over the long period. The idea of five to ten years, in my mind, um, the it comes back to what we said at the beginning of the show, right? Like being early to something, and I think you pointed out, yeah everybody who's here now is still early in like this is like being in in bitcoin in like i don't know like maybe like 2016 or something like everybody considers those people early um so i think being involved in web3 at this point is maybe analogous to that five to ten years anybody who sticks it out who is able to stick it out and um i think build a reputation build relationships and a network in the space now um Five to ten years, we're going to be looking at a very different world. And if this tech is, um, if if it continues on its adoption curve the way it has been, um, you know, with cycles in between, of course, um, the I think the ultimate outcome will be that the technology that undergirds Web three will drastically reshape the way we live our lives. It'll be, it'll be. Um, it'll be involved in ways that we can't even imagine right now, right? Um, in the same way that, you know, personal computing became uh, the, 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 the um, slim bit of metal in your pocket or the, you know, the, the watch on your, on your wrist. It, it'll just be, it'll just be, um, in, it'll, it'll be integrated into everything we do. And I, that is something that really excites me. Being, being at the ground floor of that um, is something that I find really interesting. Um, and so my goal over the next, I mean, 10 years is a long time, but I would say my goal over the next five years is to, is to know as much about the, the tech and the use cases and the, the sort of like emergent properties of this space um, such that uh, I can take advantage of it um, in the most effective way possible. And that's not like, that's not a financial statement. That's like a, a, a genuine sort of like a, I don't know, people would maybe refer to it as like a more of a lifestyle than anything else, right? Like understand how to harness the power of the technology and whether that's building a company or uh, whether it's just being a part of really cool communities. Um, 
that's the thing that I'm most excited about is kind of getting in on the ground floor. I love that. I was like romanticizing the answer as you were saying it. Thank you for sharing that. Like, I, I literally, I love that. Um, <laughs> I felt like I was rambling towards the end there. <laughs> no, no, you weren't. You were a lot of the words had purpose, Jameson. Uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. And while most of my uh, podcast conversations happen after multiple other conversations, um, I feel like I've really gotten to know you on this one. Uh, because it is only our second conversation in the same day. So I hope that this kind of fosters uh, a future learning together relationship um, and we can kind of tackle this big Web3 thing together in the next five to 10 years. It'd be really cool. Yeah, thanks, Zach. I appreciate that. And yeah, as far as a Cold War conversation goes, this was fantastic. So um, I think you do an amazing job. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks so much. Thanks for joining Web3 with me. Make sure to follow us on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Also, if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review, as it'll help us reach more people. If you want to connect with me personally, you can find me on Twitter at offedge underscore. Thanks for vibing in the verse with me, and hope you'll join us next time.